This morning's Bible reading is coming from Genesis chapter 22, but 32. But by way of introduction, Jacob is about to return home to Canaan after 20 years in Haran, raising a family. Jacob had to run away to Haran after stealing the blessing from his older twin brother Esau. Esau had been so angry. Jacob had fled in fear of his life. This reading is now 20 years later. Jacob is coming home and he's worried about his reunion with his brother. And now chapter 32 of Genesis. Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanan. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep, and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find him and have favour in his eyes. When the messenger returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, <clears throat> When my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going 
and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, Your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his limp. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thanks, God. Thank you very much, Joan, for reading for us. Well, where does God sit in your life? Where does God sit in your life? Now, that is a little bit of an intense question, isn't it? And there are uh, lots of ways you could answer that question. You could say, well, I'm not really sure who God is, and um, if there is a God, he seems a bit distant, so I wouldn't really say that God uh, is involved in my life day to day. Or perhaps you could say, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty spiritual person. I, I, I do think God has a pl- part to play in my life. He is, he's there in my life. Um, but I also have lots of other things uh, going on in my life as well. But I, I hope if we're believers that we would actually say, well, God is at the very center of my life. He's at the very core of who I am. Is that true for you? Where does God sit in your life? Now, we are looking at a pretty interesting part of the Bible today, aren't we? Uh, Jacob and God and a wrestling match. 
I'm, uh, I'm a big sports fan, if you know me well. I like all sorts of sports, but um, I've never particularly been into the combat sort of fighting sports. Um, you know, I think of UFC and uh, fighting and boxing and wrestling. Uh, but, but I will say about those sports, there is something, uh, something pretty exciting about a big fight. I, um, uh, sometimes you get one of those really big bouts that's coming up and there's all um, sorts of hype around it and all sorts of excitement. Um, I remember a few years ago I watched uh, Conor McGregor, who's a UFC fighter. He boxed Floyd Mayweather and there was so much excitement, all this build-up about this big fight that they were going to have. Uh, and then in the end, there's something about how it just comes down to two people in a ring. There's kind of no place to hide. There's no distractions. It's just you and me. It's just two people. It's very raw, uh, almost primal. Two people just having it out, just see, seeing who can uh, beat the other one. Well, in today's story, we have Jacob and we have God. And it's nighttime. It's down by the river. There's no one else there. It's very raw. They're on their own. There's no distractions. There's no place to hide. It's just Jacob and God fighting, wrestling through the night. And it's super bizarre. As I said before, I've had to do lots of wrestling just thinking about what's going on in this story. Uh, and I, I, I still think I'm a little bit perplexed. I'm not sure I know uh, all the answers to exactly what's going on. Uh, but what I want to show you this morning is I think what this story really, really boils down to is that question that I've asked you. God comes to Jacob... It's just the two of them. Everything else is stripped away. And God is saying, Jacob, where do I sit in your life? Where do I sit in your life? Because for Jacob, well, God's actually been sitting on the sidelines. God's been part of his life, but not a big part. And God is saying to Jacob, it's time to let me in. It's time to let me into the center, into the core of who you are. So where does God sit in your life? I think that's the question God's asking Jacob. And if that's true, then it's also the question that the passage is asking us. Where does God sit in your life? Where does he sit in my life, in our lives? Have you been keeping God on the sidelines or does God sit at the centre of who you are? Uh, it's those sorts of questions that we're going to think about as we look at our story today and we'll, um, we'll try and get into the story, we'll try and pick it apart a bit and try and work out what's going on. It is very bizarre, it is very mysterious. Uh, so let's try and see if we can think, uh, keep things simple. I've got uh, three questions that I'm going to get us to ask this morning. It's just the who, how and why. I think um, I put them on the screen, um, Robert, I think um, they're also in your leaflet. Uh, who meets God, number one? Who meets God? Number two, how he meets God? And number three, why he meets God. Very simple, who meets God, how does he meet God, and why does he meet God? Uh, so first of all, let's notice who meets God. Of course, who in this story that's been read for us, who is it that meets God? Well, it's Jacob, isn't it? I don't know, here at church, you've been studying Jacob um, for a couple of months. You've been getting really familiar with Jacob and his story, and Colin's uh, been taking you through it. Uh, the story is partly an origin story, as, a, as I'm sure you've, you've seen over the last few weeks. Um, it's sort of like one of those superhero origin stories, like I think of the very first Iron Man, which is kind of the story of how Iron Man becomes Iron Man. Um, well, well, Jacob, as we see in the story today, he, he's, he's going to be named Israel. So this is kind of the story of how Jacob becomes Israel. It's kind of the story of how Israel becomes Israel. It's an origin story. And actually, uh, a little bit like Iron Man, it's been a pretty epic story, hasn't it? With lots of ups and downs and drama and deception and, and tension. And, uh, and, and well, if the story of Jacob is 
a bit like that, a bit like a movie. Um, well, today is in many ways, I think, the climax to that movie. The, the enemy's coming, there's going to be a big final battle. I think at the end of Iron Man, it's that scene where it's Iron Man and a bad guy battling it out on top of a skyscraper. Well, today, this is where it's going to be decided. We've sat in the cinema for a couple of hours, picking up all the detail and, and, and enjoying the story. But I think this is the moment where everything's coming to the head. Now, Jacob's still going to be around for a long time after today. Um, I, you know, I guess, again, a little bit like Iron Man. I know that Iron Man's around in like another 30 movies or something after you get to the end of the first one. But I think today is the crux of Jacob's story. I think this is his big moment. And of course, when you get to the big moment in a story, uh, the big moment in a, in a movie, the critical point, the climax, um, there's always some sort of impending doom, isn't there? There's always like impending doom. And that's definitely the vibe of our story today as we, as we get into it. So let's recap briefly on just where we are in the story. Uh, let's just talk about Jacob. I know you guys have, guys have been studying Jacob um, really closely over several weeks, but right from the start of his life, Jacob's always been a fighter. Um, I'm sure we've seen that. Jacob's always been a fighter, a deceiver. Um, you might remember what his name means. I think it means something like, I grasp. He's a grasper, a scrapper, a wrestler. He's always been that way. Even in the womb, you might remember, he was wrestling his brother Esau even before they were born. And Colin's taken us through how Jacob tricked Esau into giving up his birthright. He's a trickster. He then tricked his blind father and stole Esau's blessing. And Esau was so mad about that, you might remember that Jacob had to flee uh, for his life off to the east. I think now you, you've probably spent about three or four weeks uh, with, with, with Jacob in the east, seeing kind of what's happened over there. Uh, he had an encounter with God, and then he got a taste of his own medicine. Uh, you might remember the deceiver was deceived. His uncle Laban tricked him into marrying the wrong person. But since then, Jacob's been getting his own back. He's been doing the classic Jacob thing. He's been scheming. He's been plotting. He's been doing lots of underhanded deals. And he's, he's ended up taking a lot of Laban's possessions. He's, he's now got family. He's got livestock. He's now got all sorts of riches. So things are actually going pretty well for Jacob. But in today's story, it's now 20 years later, and there's one big thing that he hasn't dealt with, one big thing that's been looming in his life, and that's his brother. It's time for Jacob to return home. But he knows that waiting for him at home is Esau. Last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. And so verse 3 from our passage, let's just have another look. I think, I'll get Robert, I think you can put it on the screen for us. Thank you. Jacob's worried about what's going to happen. Um, he, he's freaking out. He sent messages ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he instructed them, this is what you had to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, you might notice he's changed his tune a little bit, hasn't he? Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Hey, guess what Esau, I'm kind of rich now. It might be in your best interest to keep me alive. Hint, hint. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord he's a bit of a suck up isn't he that i may find favor in your eyes so he sends out these messengers he's hoping he's going to get a positive answer but verse six what happens when the messengers returned to jacob they said we went to your brother esau and he's now coming to meet you and 400 men are with him <laughs> i know the list does not look good for jacob impending disaster this is that end of the movie big climax moment an army heading straight for him led by the guy who, as far as we know, wants Jacob dead. 
And I, I reckon Jacob is probably thinking, well, well, everything else has worked out. Everything else in life is finally going well. But now I'm going to lose it all just because of this one thing that I haven't dealt with. My brother, uh, this has been hanging over me for years. This is the thing I've been having nightmares about. Now it's actually become reality. The army's on the way. If I could just deal with Esau, then everything else would be fine. And of course, so what does Jacob do? Well, of course, he, he goes into Jacob mode, doesn't he? He schemes, he plans, he strategizes, he sends animals out ahead of him as gifts from Esau. I think in his own words, uh, uh, verse 20, he says, maybe I can pacify my brother, butter him up. Last time I saw um, Esau, he was pretty into eating meat. So if I send lots of sheep and goats and things for him to eat, maybe that'll just, maybe he'll be kind of in that happy post-meal zen and then he'll be happy to see me. And then he thinks, okay, well, maybe I'll divide up my camp. I'll send some people over there. I'll send some people over there. When the attack comes, maybe he'll go for one of those groups, but he won't be able to take us all out at once. And he says, okay, I'll put my family at the back. That'll be the safest place to be. And he he also throws up a, a desperate Hail Mary sort of prayer to God. This is a desperate man. He's scared. He's facing impending doom. And he thinks if he could just get through this, this next couple of days, well, everything else is going to be okay. And isn't it interesting that at this moment, when Jacob's getting ready for this big fight, the big climax of his story, when he's thinking the only thing he needs to deal with is Esau, everything else is fine, Esau is the one relationship I need to fix, that this is when God shows up to meet Jacob. And kind of inadvertently, what Jacob does by sending, dividing his camp, sending other people away, is he ends up alone. It's just Jacob by himself. We're asking, who is it that meets God in this story? Well, it's Jacob, but it's a little bit more than Jacob, isn't it? It's Jacob alone. Finally, everything else has been stripped away. There's no distractions. There's no place to hide. It's just like two fighters in a ring. And I think we're seeing God say to Jacob, Jacob, I know you're freaking out about your brother. I know you think that's the relationship you need to get sorted. But God is saying, what you really need to be worried about is getting your relationship sorted with me. Because up until now, Jacob actually hasn't really had much of a relationship with God. Of course, he knows about God. He's, he's prayed to God a few times. He's had some spiritual experiences. He had that stairway to heaven thing um, from a few weeks ago. And of course, he'd had, he'd had his dad who knew God and uh, um, Isaac and, and Grandpa Abraham, of course, knew God. Um, so, so Jacob's always grown up around God's people. So he's always kind of been there in the community. But he's also actually, you look closely, he's also been pretty vague in his faith. And you, you read closely and you see things like Jacob just has sort of idols to other gods just floating around his family home. But here at this moment, on this night, when he's alone and at his most desperate, thinking if he could just deal with Esau, then everything else will be fine. I'll get that life of blessing that I've always wanted. This is the moment where God comes and says, no, 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 no. You want a life of blessing? The thing you have to deal with is not Esau. The thing you have to deal with is me. It's not enough anymore to just coast along on Isaac and Rebecca's faith or Grandpa Abraham's faith or your wife Leah's faith. You need to know me. You need to know me yourself, just you. So who meets God? Well, it's Jacob alone, himself. Let's notice then our second point, how Jacob meets God. How does Jacob meet God? Well, it's not exactly what you'd expect, is it? (laughs) God comes to Jacob. It's nighttime down by the river. I think they're going to have a prayer meeting or something. 
But no, God comes up to Jacob and he clobbers him. <laughs> he puts him in a chokehold and throws him to the ground. Uh, a wrestling match. A wrestling match. I mean, what is going on? A fight, a wrestling match. What can we even say about this? This is, this is so unexpected. I guess, I, guess, I guess for a start, we can say that God is, is a God of the unexpected, isn't he? It makes me think of um, another, another movie or another book, um, Narnia. If, you, if you've read or seen the Narnia movies, there's this, uh, there's this line that comes up again and again. Uh, the, the Jesus character in the stories uh, is um, Aslan, his name is, and he's a lion. Uh, and all through the series, there's this line that comes up again and again. He's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. God isn't a God that you can put in a cage and bring him out like you're a lion tamer and just make him perform or do tricks. God's not a God who we can keep in a box and pull out of storage uh, when we think it's, it's, you know, it's Christmas time and it's good to have God in our lives just for a little bit. But still, you still don't expect a wrestling match, do you? Why a wrestling match? Well, why, why would God come and fight Jacob? What is going on? Well, I think the only answer that uh, I can really give to that is that somehow... This is what Jacob needed. We know he needed for a long time to sort his relationship with God out. And we also know that Jacob's always been a wrestler. He's always been a fighter. Even in the womb, he was fighting. So I think maybe Jacob was never going to hear the message any other way. I think, I think he kind of needed a fight. Of course, you never want to condone violence, but sometimes you do to see young boys, young guys, sometimes they just do need a little bit of a fight, don't they? Maybe that's a little bit messed up. But I suspect with Jacob... Um, well, knowing what we know about Jacob, I, I hardly think he was the sort of guy who was going to change if God sat him down and had a cup of tea, you know? And actually, as I think about it, I don't think many of us really change that way just because someone tells us to, to change. I actually think mostly we do change as we go through the hard things, as we go through the struggles, the stresses, um, the periods of grief, the periods of uncertainty. I was, I was thinking, you know, what are the times in my life where I can look back where I've changed and grown the most? And I think there are two, two obvious things that come to mind for me. One was a number of years ago, um, just a period of workplace stress and feeling burnt out. Um, one, was, one was about three or four years ago, just a period of poor mental health. I think they're the two kind of big moments I can look and say, wow, yeah, God really changed me through those hard things. And it's not a matter of saying, oh, okay, if you're going through something hard, that must be because God wants to correct something in your life. It's, it's never as simple as that. And it doesn't also make those hard times any easier. But I do think it's true that we grow the most through struggles and hard times. I, I think that's true. I don't know if you agree. Well, I'm not sure if that's nailed the answer, but I do think that's getting into the ballpark of what's going on here with the wrestler. Jacob's been here. Uh, he's been a wrestler his whole life. He's been constantly fighting for blessing. And he needs to change. He needs to get things sorted. Uh, and I think this wrestle is in some ways the answer to that. I, I think actually you can even see Jacob change right in the middle of the fight. Look, we'll just look very closely and zoom in on this part. We'll put this part up. Um, thanks, Robert. It's verse 24. Um, we'll start there. So uh, I think we can really see Jacob change even right in the middle of the fight. So Jacob was left alone. The fight's, this fight's just going to get started. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, I think there's something significant going here with the, um, with the hip and the wrenching. And the, uh, uh, and the word really is just a touch. It's just a light tap. It's not a punch. It's not a throw to the ground. It's, it's a light feather touch on the hip. And bam, suddenly, one of the strongest joints in the body is thrown out of whack. So it's a bit mysterious and weird and I, I don't know exactly what it is about this touch I think probably th- maybe this is the moment that Jacob suddenly realizes hang on I'm not just wrestling a, another bloke here I'm wrestling something divine 
We also wonder if maybe this is the point where Jacob realizes, oh, I'm, I'm hurt, I'm injured. And maybe he realizes, well, now I'm definitely not going to have the strength to fight off Esau. Maybe, maybe somehow that causes him to realize, I need to trust God. But whatever it is, there is an interesting change here because after this little moment with the hip, well, well suddenly now uh, you, you, see, you see that there's a very different attitude that Jacob has. Actually, things switch right around. So let's notice the change in verse 26. Uh, verse 26, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And hang, hang on a second. Now it's God saying, this isn't now Jacob fighting off God anymore. Now, now Jacob's holding on to God. God is saying, let me go for it's daybreak. Up until, up until now, you get the impression that Jacob's been trying to get away from this, but now no, Jacob's the one holding on to God. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. Isn't that interesting? We know that Jacob's been fighting for blessing his whole life, fighting with Esau, fighting with Laban, scheming, wrestling everyone, trying to find that blessing that he's always been craving. I think this is the moment where he finally gets it. He realizes he's been wrestling everyone else while God has been the one who's been on the sidelines. And he realized that that whole time he shouldn't have been wrestling all those people. He should have been wrestling God. He's been trying to find blessing in all these other places except the place where real blessing is found. He realizes the place he should have gone for blessing the whole time is God. And he realizes that suddenly, He's got God in his grasp. He's literally holding on to God. And so he will not let go. I think if nothing else, that's what the wrestle's about. It's, it's stripped back. It's no distractions. Everything else has been pushed out of the way. It's God saying to Jacob, stop putting me on the sidelines. It's God fighting his way into the center of Jacob's life. And it's about Jacob grabbing hold of God and realizing that this is the place that he can finally get that blessing that he's been wrestling for his whole life. Well, who meets God? Jacob alone. How does he meet God? Lastly, why does he meet God? We've done a lot of ground, the groundwork for this uh, last point already. Here at the climax of his life, we know what Jacob thought he needed. He, you know, he remember he he thought he needed to deal with Esau. He thought that was the big problem. But we've seen that what Jacob really needed was to get his relationship with God sorted out. You know, he still talks about God as the God of his fathers, not his own God. He still has idols in his household. He hasn't dealt with his past sins and failures. He's still, he's still this kind of scheming kind of guy. Even as he approaches Esau, he's, he's still trying to scheme and plot his way out of the problem. And it's like in this fight, God finally says, enough, enough, Jacob. It's time to sort this all out. And if you just look at one more bit of the story from verse 27, notice uh, right at the end of this wrestle, this little bit with the names. Um, the man comes and asks him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Um, all through Hebrew stories, like the book of Genesis, names are normally pretty important. And um, this, this feels pretty significant, doesn't it? This changing of Jacob's name. Um, what do you think that means? Well, Remember, uh, remember what the name Jacob means? It was something like I grasp or you could even say it kind of means deceiver or wrestler. That's, that's kind of what the name Jacob meant when he was born. Um, Jacob had come out grabbing onto Esau's heel. That's, that's why he got the name in the first place. Uh, and that's definitely been the theme of Jacob's life, hasn't it? Fighting, struggling, grasping for blessing. 
But why has, why has God had this meeting with Jacob? Well, God's met Jacob because it's time for Jacob to change. It's time for Jacob to put his years of wrestling and fighting behind him. His new name will be Israel. You know what Israel means? God strives or strives with God. Having had this encounter with God, having come to God himself, well, it's, if God is going to be at the center of Jacob's life, well, it's time for Jacob to start trusting. It's time for Jacob to stop being the one who fights and schemes and tries to get blessing under his own steam. It's time to start being the sort of person who lets God be the one who strives, to strive with God, to trust God and look to that blessing that God has promised and provides. Jacob needs to stop relying on his own strength and his own scheming. And that's, that's hard for someone like Jacob because he's really good at scheming. You know, you, you remember, you know, last week he schemed and fought his way to a small fortune. He's had all sorts of um, success. But his whole life he's been fighting and fighting and fighting. And the one thing he hasn't found is blessing. And, that, and that's ultimately the thing he's been chasing the whole time. But on this night, in this encounter, Jacob the wrestler goes from being one who strives and fights on his own to being the guy who now strives with God, to the one who works hard, strives, but does it in complete trust of God. For him, this is it. This is the moment where he finally gets it. He's won. And actually, that's what the passage says, doesn't it? Uh, We we haven't even asked that question yet. We talked about how weird it is that God and Jacob um, wrestle and fight, but, you know, I think the strangest thing of all is that somehow Jacob wins. That's what it says. He, He overcome. He overcomes. I mean, who wrestles with God and wins? How is that even possible? I, I think there's only one answer. Of course, God, of course, God is more powerful than just Jacob. Jacob's just a, just a guy. Uh, but, and you can remember even that little power touch on the hip that suddenly threw the whole joint out of whack. So we know that God's got the strength. Um, but, but somehow God doesn't win the fight. And I, I think you say, well, how does that happen? I think there can only be one answer to that, and that's that God weakens himself. Um, it's a bit like when I might wrestle with my, my little girls, my kids. I, uh, I don't use my full force, of course. We're just mucking around. We're just playing. Well, here, God weakens himself. And why does he do that? Well, he does it because he wants to bring Jacob into a relationship where he can trust in God for his salvation. And as Jacob learns to trust in God, well, Jacob wins. As he trusts in God, he finds that relationship with God. He finds that blessing that he's been after. A new day dawns. He goes on to face Esau, knowing that he now has a relationship with the God of the universe. And actually, he knows that whatever's going to happen with his brother the next day, well, he's going to be okay. He's got God with him. And as it happens, the showdown with Esau is a bit of a non-event anyway. Um, His brother was just happy to see him. It didn't really come to anything. Once again, Jacob's done all this scheming and all this plotting and all this planning to try and deal with this big problem. And all he ever needed to do was just trust. Well, I think that's our story, the story of how Jacob was terrified about his brother, wanted to get his relationship with his brother sorted, and little did he know all he really needed to do was get his relationship with God sorted. We've seen God wrestle Jacob, God, wrestles ja- God has wrestled Jacob into the center uh, of his life, God's wrestled his way into the center of Jacob's life. But let's, uh, let's, let's, let's pause then and change tact because we've seen the story of Jacob. Let's ask, well, where does that leave us? Well, I think it leaves us with that question that we asked at the start. Where does God sit in your life? Where does God sit in my life? Where does God sit in our lives?
Well, uh, we've seen in today's story those three questions we've asked. Who meets God? How does he meet God? Why does he meet God? Well, let's just say something about each one of those uh, three things as we finish. So um, we, we said, who was it that met God? Well, we saw that it was Jacob who met God, but not just Jacob, it was Jacob alone. Everything else was stripped away, all the distractions. And I think we can say, well, if God's going to be at the center of our lives... Well, actually, we need to have our own relationship with him, don't we? Around, uh, around Trinity and churches like this, we often talk about the importance of community uh, and being God's people and how faith isn't just something for us as individuals. Um, faith is something for us uh, as a corporate, as a, as a group. And that's, um, that's a very, very true thing. It's very appropriate to talk about um, how we have a community of faith. And that's particularly a good thing for us to remember uh, when we live in a Western individualistic sort of culture. Uh, But I think actually the passage today reminds us of something else, and it's something that might seem obvious, but I think it's worth saying, we also need to have our own relationship with God, each one of us on our own, just just being part of the faith community, having having a parent who loves God or having a spouse who loves God. Actually, that's ultimately not enough. That's not God sitting at the centre of our lives. And of course, if God is at the centre of our lives, well, that's going to mean we belong to His people and belong to a church. And, and, and when we gather together here on Sundays, in many ways, that should be the pinnacle of our uh, spiritual week. But at the same time, if church on Sunday is the pinnacle of our spiritual week, I think it should also be just the tip of the iceberg. Because I think there should be a whole massive part to our spiritual lives that isn't here on a Sunday. You know, when we're growing and learning and praying and meditating on our own. It is possible to get caught up in a movement and come here on Sundays and enjoy worshipping and singing and enjoy the community, but actually, a bit like Jacob, you don't have that relationship with God yourself. Do you need to spend some time with God alone with, with this week, maybe, with all those distractions cleared away? Just you and God, like Jacob and God, down by that river. And of course, we are always distracted, aren't we? We're always connected uh, in today's world, so it does make us make it hard sometimes uh, but we do, we, we need to find time with God alone, just us. Well, who meets God? What about how does he meet God? Well, Jacob met God and they wrestled. And I think if God is going to sit at the center of our lives, well, I think actually that means we have to wrestle sometimes with God too. Probably just metaphorically, but um, we might be going through something difficult. You know, we can either try and deal with it under our own steam But if God's sitting at the center of our lives, well, surely that looks like wrestling through those things with God, striving with God. Could be that we're in the middle of just making a big decision or, uh, you know, we could try and make those decisions just by ourselves or we can be praying and reflecting on God's word and wrestling through those decisions with him, asking God to give us wisdom so that we can prioritize the things that are most important to him. We could be struggling with big questions about God and his world. We can either decide that those questions don't matter and forget them. Or we can decide, maybe it's easier not to ask those hard questions. I'm just going to push those out of my mind. Or we can wrestle over those questions with God, with His Word, and with other believers. I'm sure there'll be plenty of us here today who know what it is to wrestle with God over something. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of us feel like we're wrestling with God at the moment. Well, I think we can take this encouragement from today's passage. I think it's a good thing to be wrestling It's a good thing to be wrestling. Sometimes it hurts. It's not always the easiest way to go about things. But if it has a faith where we never feel like we're wrestling, well, it might just be because we've pushed God out to the sidelines. You know, maybe we're keeping him in a box, you know, trying to treat him like that tame lion who we occasionally bring out 
to do a trick. If God's at the centre of our lives, I think we'll probably sometimes find that we're wrestling. Who meets God? Why does, how does he meet God? Lastly, why does he meet God? Well, we saw that Jacob met God because he needed to change. He needed to go from trusting in himself to trusting in God, getting his new name. And as God wrestled him and weakened himself, Jacob won. He prevailed and he did learn what it was to trust God. Well, I think if God is going to sit at the centre of our lives, well, bringing someone like that into our lives, it involves a lot of trust. It means trusting in him rather than trusting in ourselves. And that can be hard because we have skills, don't we? We, we might be able to scheme and plot. We might have all sorts of gifts and skills and, and we can, of course, use those things for God. But it's a good thing to trust God because we're never going to be able to, under those own schemes, under our own scheming and skills, we're never going to be able to scheme our way to anything more than temporary joy and temporary success. We're not going to be able to scheme our way into eternal blessing, into the blessing of salvation, into our place in his eternal kingdom. Like Jacob eventually discovered, we need to know that that real blessing, lasting blessing, is only found in trusting in the God who weakened himself for us, in trusting in the God who through his death saves us, makes us righteous. True blessing is only found in striving with him. Well, where does God sit in your life? Having him in the centre of your life isn't always easy. It hurts sometimes. It means trusting someone other than yourself. It involves plenty of wrestling along the way. But it does mean we're safe and secure, trusting in the one whose promises of blessing are sure. Let me pray. Uh, God, we thank you today for your word and for these amazing sorts of stories and the amazing way you worked in your people thousands of years ago. Uh, Father, I pray that each person here would know what it is to have you at the centre of our lives. Father, would you help us as we wrestle with you to trust you, to know that your promises are sure. Thank you for Jesus who made himself weak for us and that through him we are safe. We pray in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.